Are Chinese banks running out of cash? They just borrowed an unprecedented amount of short-term debt this past week, twice as much as the week before. And that comes on the heels of last month, a huge spike in the repo rate. Now, authorities say there's nothing to see here, nothing going on, but the number of weird, unusual, unprecedented financial occurrences in the Chinese banking system has increased noticeably, as have, as I've talked about before, the political weirdness going on in China, what looks to be an oddness-to-goodness purge across the CCP leadership. Talked about the foreign minister's disappearance, the defense minister's disappearance, sacking of top generals, a whole lot of stuff going on there, and this seems to be the financial equivalent to all of that political intrigue. Now, what happened was on October 31st, there were reports from China that the repo rate for certain borrowers in the repo market had surged to as much as 50%. And when that happened on October 31st, initially authorities at the PBOC said, no, don't worry, we'll take care of it. Here's what they said. The People's Bank of China will likely inject ample liquidity into the money market after interest rates surged on Tuesday, October 31st, according to a person close to the central bank, as state media blamed financial institutions for disturbing the market. And here's what the state media said. Some institutions with the aim of maximizing profits depend too much on rolling over financing, borrowing short, and investing long, basic maturity transformation, creating their own liquidity risk, which disturbs the market and creates a tense mood. Only a small number of non-bank institutions and asset management products are financing at high interest rates. The number and amount of transactions account for a low proportion of the entire market. And while that may be true, that's not something that you want to see in any wholesale marketplace. Basically, that's what the authorities were describing, wholesale money as it's practiced all over the world. However, even if it's just a small section of the marketplace, that can still have gigantic ripple effects throughout the system because it's not just this one-off as authorities are making it seem. Instead, we're getting more and more signs that the banking system, the participants in this wholesale marketplace, and not just the cash borrowers, are indeed concerned about conditions. And why wouldn't they be? China's banking sector has been beleaguered and battered and beset for quite some time now, with everything continuing to rise and crescendo toward some unknown fate. If you were a Chinese bank given these conditions, maybe you would think about paying penalty rates to borrow, and I don't just mean in repo funds. There's a whole lot more to unpack what's going on here. The very next day after this October 31st spike, so November 1st, the PBOC authorities there said, eh, we changed our mind. This was no big deal. We have no plans to inject any liquidity whatsoever. Instead, according to a Bloomberg article from November 1st, China's central bank actually withdrew cash from the financial system, suggesting it views Tuesday's abrupt surge in short-term borrowing costs as a one-off disruption. The People's Bank of China drained a net 109 billion yuan, or about 15 billion US dollar equivalent, from money markets Wednesday by doling out a smaller amount of new short-term loans than was maturing. So Tuesday, it's happening. Everybody says, uh-oh, repo rate spiking, maybe 20% according to some reports, 50% according to other reports. And the Chinese central bank says, don't worry, we've got it covered. Then the next day they said, no, this was no big deal. Just a one-off. Everybody go back to your normal business. Now, we should point out here that China's repo market is somewhat fragmented and somewhat 
unusual. I don't want to say the term unusual. It's it's a little bit different than it is in other places. They have something called pledge repo, which is where this trouble really happened. And pledge repo is the majority. It's sort of the equivalent to bilateral bespoke repo in U.S. dollar terms. Uh, pledge repo simply refers to the fact that I pledge collateral to you, but I don't transfer title as I'm borrowing cash. You can you have the rights to take that collateral and sell it if I default on the loan, but we don't transfer any ownership. That comes from outright repo. Uh, outright repo, as the name implies, is where I give you transfer everything, including ownership. It's more like securities lending is, which is a misnomer here in U.S. dollar and euro dollar system uh, usage. So there's outright repo, and there's even something called X repo, where everything is standardized. There's tri-party repo. But really what we're focusing on here is pledged repo, which longtime viewers of Eurodollar University understand the opaque nature of bilateral bespoke repo. And this is what we're talking about in RMB terms. In China's repo markets, most of the cash borrowing is by small banks who are therefore collateral providers, which uh, already starts to bring, ring some warning bells here. And the cash providers happen to be the large banks who are often in need of collateral. Same, same everywhere. Any kind of wholesale market that has a highly developed repo system, there's a cash collateral exchange. But in China, again, the important part here is in pledge repo, smaller banks tend to be those who are borrowing cash. And they're the ones who are identified, at least according to the information that we have, as being behind the eight ball and the ones who are borrowing at exorbitant rates on October 31st. Now, what we had seen up until October was a general rise in repo rates. You see, the, the overnight repo rate had begun to move up late in August, actually early in August, coincident to everything that we've been talking about in the euro dollar system, believe it or not. So you have the overnight repo rate where most of the repo is done and overnight and is maybe termed out to seven days. So the overnight repo rate moved up into in August into September. It wasn't surging by any means, but it certainly moved higher at that time, which is an important time frame that we'll get to in just a moment. Um, and then this, you know, the seven day repo rate, that one you could see coming. In other words, you saw that rise around October 20th. So even before we got to the end of last month, there was an indication that liquidity was getting was getting a little bit trickier, a little more illiquid in the repo market, even before we got to October 31st. The seven-day repo jumps. Uh, the overnight repo rate during this couple-week period, that was sort of volatile there. So you could tell something was going on even before we got to October 31st. And of course, there was no major statements. And as I said in the beginning, you see quarter ends, like you do any place around the world, quarter ends, you get a rise in repo rates, sometimes a spike in repo rates, but not month ends. October, that was already quite unusual. So the explanation for all of this, the common explanation, the mainstream explanation is, well, the government is draining cash because authorities in Beijing have said to their local governments, hey, we need to stimulate this economy that isn't going very well. So local governments start borrowing against your yearly quota and start putting it to use because we need to stimulate the economy. So in the month of September and in October, local governments have been issuing more and more debt. But in October, remember, the like central government said, we're going to stimulate by water conservancy projects. I mentioned that in the previous video too. And you can't help but laugh, but the government was issuing debt too. So there's a huge amount of government bonds, both central government and local government bonds issued 
in the month of October. And of course, who are the biggest buyer of government bonds? The large commercial banks who normally relend cash in repo. So the government is taking funds out of the commercial banks to hopefully, in their mind, channel into this wasteful, unproductive stimulus. Well, that's not what they're thinking, but that's what really happens. Leaving banks less cash to lend in repo and leaving smaller Chinese banks to have to compete for increasingly scarce funds. They have to love what the government is doing here according to the mainstream explanation. The most charitable explanation is the government is starving the banking system in order to rechannel cash into most unproductive means. I mean, you wonder why the Chinese economy is a mess. But there's, there's more to it here. There's a lot more going on. As I've said, the banking system has been beleaguered for a long time. And if this was just a one-off about government bond accelerating, government bonds accelerating issuance, then there would be nothing to, everybody could go back to normal. Now, repo rates have, repo rates have gone back to where they were before the end of October. But then just yesterday, there was news in Bloomberg that maybe the banking system itself is not necessarily convinced this is just a one-off related to government bond issuance. Onshore lenders this week doubled their issuance of so-called negotiable certificates of deposit, a form of debt with maturities from 1 to 12 months, to more than 1 trillion yuan, which is the equivalent of about 137 billion. That's the largest weekly issuance of such debt on record, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. Quote, the rush is taking place despite borrowing costs at six-month highs in the NCD market. Even some state-backed banks, those which typically enjoy cheaper rates due to a lower chance of default, they opted to pay more and issue debt too. The world's largest lender by assets, Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, sold a six-month note at the highest yield in 2023. So even the big banks are paying penalty rates to issue negotiable certificates of deposit, which is short-term borrowings trying to attract cash, in order to build up a liquidity cushion of the likes we have not seen in China, although we don't really see much of China, but at least from what we, we can understand and what we know, the biggest liquidity cushion that we've identified or can identify may be in the entire modern Chinese system. This is unusual, maybe even unprecedented behavior. And so that raises a whole bunch of questions. What is going on that the Chinese banks are thinking they need to pay penalty rates to build out a cash cushion after what just happened with the PBOC saying it's no big deal? Maybe the banking system saw the sharp rise in repo rates, the illiquidity that small banks were experiencing and thinking, I don't want that to be me. Whether or not government bond sales are draining commercial banks of their cash, that's one thing because commercial banks at least have an insight into how much issuance they're going to have to absorb. It seems to be they're going above and beyond because of the extreme nature of not just issuance, but the recirculation of cash and maybe collateral in the repo market. The entire system becomes a little bit more dangerous Therefore, even the largest banks in China are saying, I'm going to pay higher rates to build up a cash cushion. This is not necessary. Again, it's not just about government bond issuance. This risk, this risk aversion type behavior seems to be independent. Of course, it also seems to be very much consistent with everything that we've been talking about in China. Not the mainstream media, because remember what happened in the mainstream media, China's doing good. 
Their stimulus is working. The Chinese, uh, Chinese economy has definitely turned a corner for the third time. And that's maybe where we should end up today's video, reviewing where China's economy actually is and maybe where it is banks think it is going. Because what we see in the statistics that are coming out seems to vindicate the idea that, there are, that China is now experiencing its third failed reopening in two years. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is not just reopening from lockdowns, but third economic reopening for, for lack of a better term here. Essentially, we had the first reopening, which, which happened in May and June of 2022, after Xi Jinping's government had locked down Shanghai and so much of the eastern portion of the country in uh, March and April of 2022. So they reopened in May and June to high acclaim the financial press across the rest the west of the world across the western world saying that this was going to be a huge contributor to growth at an important period of time because the chinese lockdowns are the reason why the chinese economy is suffering and it fizzled out in a matter of months maybe even weeks essentially you could see it in the data there was a reopening boost and then right back down again which of course Everyone blamed on renewed lockdowns later in 2022, particularly September of 2022 and into October. But then the Chinese government said, we're going to be out of the lockdown business at the end of last year, leading to the second reopening, which has been recategorized as the reopening, which of course was going to be the biggest thing ever. This was going to really rescue the global economy because China was going to be completely back, freed from all of its pandemic madness, and it was going to create massive amounts of buying across the global economy, boom in China, boom outside of China, all of that stuff, and... Just like the first reopening, it fizzled in a matter of months and likely even weeks. There are many indications that it didn't last past the middle of January while it was still happening. So reopening number two didn't work either. And as it became clear that reopening number two was a complete failure, the Chinese government reacted to that in May and June and July of this year by waking up, snapping out of their patient patiently rewaiting for reopening number two to work. And they decided not only did reopening two fail, it left China's economy to head into what really looked to be dangerous territory. So that unleashed reopening number three, which wasn't a, a physical reopening of the, of the country, more as it was a stimulus-led effort to reopen the economy more completely. So you had the 31-point plan, the absurd 31-point plan in July, then more stimulus and more stimulus, the, the, the attempts to stabilize the currency, all of that stuff. So that was reopening number three. And like the first two, what you got was a short-term rebound in some of the statistics that didn't last very long, maybe even a matter of just a couple weeks. And now China's economy is starting to roll over again as we head into October, November, December, the rest of 2023 and the early part of 2024. Basically what we see across the rest of the world. And more and more of the statistics, as I say, continue to validate that idea that reopening number three is failing. So this week, the Chinese reported consumer and producer price numbers that look every bit like the reopening number three rollover and head into whatever else follows, which looks to be deflationary recession, the same as everyone else. Consumer prices in the month of October, those were negative again. 
down 0.1% after rising 2%, two tenths of a percent in September. They had risen three tenths of a percent in August and two tenths of a percent in July and were negative in May and June. So negative consistent with reopening number two falling Then reopening number three happens and we get a little bit of a positive and then back into the negatives again. On a year-over-year -year basis, China's CPI was down 0.2%. That was being after being flat year-over-year -year in September. Some of the deflation in consumer prices was due to due to food, especially pork. Uh, food prices were down eight tenths of a percent in October, so that's the reason why prices were falling. However, non-food prices those were flat, so it wasn't as if there was inflation in. Uh, other parts of the consumer bucket, consumer products and things like that, and just food prices were falling. You've got weak demand across the board that low and negative food prices contributed in, into deflation. More importantly, producer prices. Again, you see the same pattern. Producer prices month over month, the PPI, that had been negative leading up to this third reopening. So you had negative month over month changes, and then August, it turns positive 0.2%. September, 0.4%, but now October, we're back down to 0% again. Now, some of that is energy prices, because energy prices contribute much of that increase, but still, like the rest of the world, it's not like China is booming, leading to producer prices accelerating wildly, just the opposite. Factory gate prices, you see the same general pattern. And year over year, producer prices, the PPI minus 2.6%, that was slightly worse than the minus 2.5% in September. Factory gate prices minus 3.7%, slightly worse than the minus 3.6% in September. So you put all of these things together, these increasingly weird financial indications, the surge in repo rates, the big spike at the end of October, large Chinese banks saying we might need to build some cash cushions here at the very best the governments of China, the central government, and local governments, draining the system of cash so that they can stimulate the economy by robbing everyone of the ability, the private economy, to continue to operate in normal fashion. That's the most charitable interpretation. A slightly worse but more realistic interpretation, in my mind, is Chinese banks know what's coming. As they're being drained of liquidity from all this government bond issuance, they're taking proactive measures to protect themselves from the banking system, from the cash drain, from the fact that the stimulus isn't going to work and that the economy is heading into the same place that the rest of the global economy already is, which is no good place. And on top of all of that, what is that going to do to the beleaguered property real estate sector? Yes, indeed, I do believe that there's an honest-to-goodness political purge happening across China's top leadership, and you can check out the video I did on that link below me. As always, I thank you for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University members, Eurodollar University subscribers, and until next time, take care.